Welcome back to the In 11 podcast. I am your host, Brendan Griffiths, and this is the show where we bring on those from the world of football to show you what it takes to be in the 11 at the highest possible level. This week's guest has been a collegiate coach and now recently a national championship winning collegiate coach at the NCAA Division Three level. Coach Ruben Burke is in the podcast of Connecticut College today. And I'm really looking forward to sharing with you guys what it takes to to be a coach and to have a successful career in coaching. But also for those of you players out there that are listening, what college coaches look for, what a successful college program looks like. Just a lot of good stuff for a lot of you that are navigating, whether you're navigating the coaching process or whether you're navigating the collegiate playing process, whatever kind of stage you are in your football career. I think this is a really good episode to uh, to take something from. So without further ado, here's my chat with Coach. Right. Joining us in the 11 now is Coach Ruben Burke, a 2021 national champion. And first of all, Coach, thank you so much for for taking the time to step in the 11 with us for today. Secondly, I want to ask you, what is that like to feel or to hear that now attached to your name, national national champion? Yeah, uh, still pretty cool. Um enough enough time has definitely passed where uh um it sunk in and and very focused on um on next next year so yeah it's it's always cool to hear but i think uh one one foot has uh left the room already thinking about next year and hmm. and and trying to be the best version of ourselves so yeah there was a there was a long time coming before we uh, were able to get to that national championship. There was a uh, many stops along the coaching career. Obviously, we have a playing career as well to discuss. So maybe if we go back and and start, your playing career brought you to Hobart University. What was the decision to attend that school, and and how would you kind of summarize your experience as a player? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think like most kids, right like most kids you're focused on playing at the highest level that you can. And, and I was, you know, definitely intrigued and motivated to, to try to test myself and play division one looked at mostly schools in the Northeast. And, um, and again, just like most kids, you go through the process and at some point you come to the realization of where, where the best fit is or where your level is at. And mine probably wasn't at division one, but um, but, but I, I felt like Hobart could offer me a very high division three. Um, I think the year before I joined, they made the sweet 16 and, um, and, and it still offered high academics as well. So, so that combination was, was a great fit, but no, I think, um, you know, what I learned early on is that recruiting has a lot to do with relationships and, and, uh, the head coach at Hobart, Sean Griffin is still a very close mentor of mine. I probably talked to him on a weekly basis. And I think he, he sold me, um, 
a great vision and, and a great opportunity, which Hobart can provide. And, and yeah, I mean, still my best friends uh, today are the guys that I played college soccer with. So I think it ended up being a great fit. Um, my, my only disappointment is probably we never reached the heights that uh, probably envisioned that Hobart could reach while I was there. But um, but yeah, great, great experience. And, and that's, you know, that's why I think uh, Division three is has been so far a good fit for me coaching wise, because uh, I'm able to share my playing experience mm. um, over to the guys that are currently here. So it's it's a re- relatable fit. So how did that playing experience that you had, it sounds like maybe it was partially due to the coach that you had being a, a good mentor for you. How did that playing experience then give you that that coaching bug to to want to jump into the the touchline so soon? Yeah. yeah. I mean, college goes by so quick and and for a lot of kids, you know, like myself at the end of 4 years, it's like you can't believe it's over. So yeah. I wanted to stay involved in the game. Um and again, testament to Sean, what happened his, I mean, my senior year in the spring, right? In most college programs, the seniors don't train. Um, he took me on as a volunteer coach. So, um, you know, well, well, a lot of my buddies were, were, were partying and enjoying the end of senior year. I was going to the spring practices, um, leading sessions. Sean let me um, do team talks and, and yeah, I think that's, you know, I would say around junior year in my playing experience, obviously I knew I wasn't going to play professionally. Um, I did, uh, a little bit in the summer with USL two, but that, you know, that, that was probably my ceiling as well. So I wanted to stay involved in the game, probably figured that out halfway through college. And, and then, yeah, senior year I did, um, youth camps, um, uh, through Hobart. I did, uh, spring practices through Hobart and, um, yeah, I decided that, you know, I, I wanted to, um, instead of use my liberal arts education, try to, try to keep soccer going. Yeah. What's that like as a, you know, a senior or maybe even a, a for a recent graduate, a lot of coaches their first stint is usually kind of at their alma mater right that's where they get their first opportunity the coach lets them stay on for another year and then maybe they go mm-hmm. elsewhere after that what's that like being you know a senior in that environment there where you've already just played with all of these boys the past couple of years and they know you as a player to then have to kind of change roles and flip that switch of now you're the coach yeah it's it's obviously tricky right um and and you in ha- and you have to in in some capacity um you know separate yourself from who you are as a player to to who you now are as a coach and um and yeah i mean comes down comes down to relationships your your ability to communicate with the guys saying hey you know i'm you know i still want the best for you even though i'm not a teammate now um and and I think, you know, at time that that irons out, but uh, but yeah, it's obviously tricky early on, and, and it requires some communication skills to kind of draw the boundaries and and let them know that your role is different, and and the both of you just need to accept that. Mm. 
So did that then lead to your opportunity at Alfred University? Yeah. So, um, you know, um, like most people know, listening to this, um, coaches are so well connected in the head coach at Alfred, Scott Miller, who is now the head coach at uh, Black Rock High Mowing, um, knew Sean Griffin really well. And, um, and yeah, Scott needed a graduate assistant. So I graduated uh, with a degree in anthropology and sociology, uh, obviously not the most marketable. So <laughs> figured I could kill two birds with one stone, do my master's in business administration, get my uh, MBA, and at the same time be the assistant coach at Alfred. So it was it was it was a win win because now I got uh, a master's degree, but also I got two years of um, coaching in an environment that that I wasn't you know familiar with, didn't know the players, had to build those relationships, had to learn my trade. You know, I had I had no really I you know had really no solid footing on on who I wanted to be as a coach and, and what my vision of the game looked like and had obviously no experience recruiting. So it was a good, you know, it was a good um, opportunity to learn. I think, I think that's the biggest thing for young coaches. You just gotta, you know, and, and still what I try to do every day is, is um, learn how to get better and, and learn who you want to be as a coach. In doing some of my prep for for our episode today, I came across this post that you you had after you'd won the national championship, kind of laying out you know the stops of your career and maybe some of the the highs and lows that you had at, at each place, and you know kind of what you wrote about about Alfred. And it might not actually be a good way for us to sort of have the structure of our our conversation today because I think it's really refreshing to see how transparent you were about each of the places, you know, kind of that you went to and, and that opportunity that you had at Alfred, you kind of started that by saying that you were clueless going into, to that situation. Uh, you know, as you look back now, what was, what were those things that you look back and say, wow, I really had no idea what I was doing, you know, whether specific things, whether it be recruiting or running sessions or, or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know where where to begin. Um, yeah, I think, I think, um, just you know, I was just just a baby, and um, I think clueless in terms of like, you know, um, the the details in 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 sessions, um, you know, how to really progress a session in, in how to fully bring out the tactical concepts that you want to work on. Just really naive at that. I think, I think, you know, each school is, each college is obviously different. You have to have a strong sense of how to, you know, what your school's strengths are. Um, you know, what, what types of kids would be good fit for your school and just completely naive to that, how to, how to learn all about that. And, um, and yeah, just, you know, mature, maturity wise, like, you know, I think as, as a young coach, it's like, you know, the, the team loses its first game. It's, it's depressing. It's frustrating. And, um, and just not, you know, not being too high, not being too low. I mean, you can't, you can't, um, 
everyone says a season is a roller coaster, but you can't treat it like that. You gotta you gotta stay even keeled. And I think um, you know, starting off and, and probably probably I still am, but but more so starting off as a coach super emotionally charged, mm. um, letting uncontrollable things, you know, bother me. But but yeah, I'd I'd say in terms of running practice, could have been way more detailed. Um I think I think in terms of recruiting could have been a lot more uh, strategic and um, thoughtful about about um, going after certain kids in in building the roster and then and then yeah like just mannerisms and, and personalities being being more even keeled I think those are probably all the things that had to quickly grow up with yeah. And I read too that you said the the head coach that you initially came to assist under that was pretty quickly he was relieved of that position and then kind of what was that transition for you did a new head coach come in or did you have to sort of take the reins at a at an early stage? Yeah, so the season right college soccer the season ended when November, um, so unfortunately Scott moved on from Alfred and, and I'm doing my MBA. Um, so I'm going to, we practice in the afternoon, right after practice, I'm going to night classes and I'd say, um, yeah, from, from December to the end of spring, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do recruiting, uh, run team meetings, uh, do the spring practices. And I think, um, Matt Smith, the next head coach, he got in middle middle of April, end of April. So as, as the spring semester was dying out down. So, but I think, I think, I think there's nothing wrong with the learning experience of, of being thrown into, uh, being thrown into the fire, you know, Mm. um, it was, it was a lot, lot to take on, but if you, if you immerse yourself in it, if you have a lot of passion and and if you want to do the best job that you can, you, you end up learning a lot. So. Yeah, and you hit on a important point, I think, in in this time that you wrote about that a lot of times being a head coach or really just a coach in general, it can be a, an isolating endeavor because I think a lot of people think, well, you're around the players all the time. You're around the game all the time. It's such a, a social experience and uh it kind of can feel a little bit different than that because of the the nature of the relationship you have to keep with your players where, you know, you're on one side and they're on the other. And that's not to say that the two parties aren't mm-hmm. working together to get to their same goal, but there has to be, as you mentioned before, those, those distinct boundaries. Was that where maybe you started to really get a grasp for that as a coach that, okay, this isn't just going to be like when I was a player where I was just one of the guys, you know, there's a very different, element to this that I'm going to have to try and navigate as I move forward in my coaching career. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I think, I think that started to shape, um, my my two years at Alpha that started to shape my experience of wanting to be, um, of, of wanting to be the type of coach that I partner with the players. Like I, I do want to have a close relationship with the players and, um, you know, I, I want to be a type of coach where you wear different hats. Sometimes you're their friend. Sometimes you're your, their mentor. Sometimes you need to be a disciplinarian. But but I always want to be, um, you know, 
partnering with them to to help them get to where they want to be so in in you know when when you're when you're a colleague when you work alongside someone there's there's a relationship component involved in it for sure but but yeah i think to go along to your point of coaching being sometimes uh a lonely or an isolated position i mean it's it's easy to get caught up in your own thoughts it's easy to question yourself um you know especially in division 3 staffs are usually two maybe three people um so you know it's 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 challenging it's it's not like it's it's not like professional soccer where you have a strength and conditioning coach you have a fitness coach you have a sports psychologist i mean he you're making a lot of decisions and you're constantly questioning yourself and um and yeah so i think um for for me for me um it was a good good learning experience where um you know i started to find out who what type of coach i wanted to be but but also at the same time learning that hey in this job um you have to be self-reliant you have to you know um yeah, you have to be able to 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 carry yourself through the through the tough times. And that led you into your opportunity to then see the highest level of the collegiate soccer game going to Division One at, at Holy Cross. And, you know, I'm sure that was a, a really different experience because, you know, obviously you mentioned at Alfred, you were able to run sessions and you had an experience where you got to see all aspects of the program in a really hands-on way. And then, you know, a lot of people's first experience at division one, I imagine was similar to what you experienced where a lot of those things you don't see, and you have this one specific kind of lane that you're in and and that's where you operate in terms of what you're Mm -hmm. adding to the value of the staff or adding to the value of the program. What was your kind of role at Holy Cross? Yeah, very, very much focused on recruiting. Um, and I enjoyed it. I, I, uh, um, liked building connections with players, with, uh, club directors, um, you know, trying, trying my best to, um, add talent and, um, key qualities to the roster to, to make the team better each year. Like, I think, uh, I think recruiting is, is, a you know, if, if, uh, if you're dedicated and, and if it's, if, if you shape it as a meaningful role, uh, it can be really rewarding. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't, didn't, and, and had no problem. I didn't run really any sessions at Holy Cross or, you know, I wasn't in charge of, um, the tactical game plans and did a little bit of scouting, um, in terms of opposition analysis, but, um, but yeah, I think I think uh, it was a good good time in my coaching uh, development or age to to really realize how you know important recruiting is and um, and in in how it's you know um, the bloodline of of any program. So so help me to kind of contextualize this for the listeners out there cuz you know I've spoken to a lot of division 1 coaches before and uh, you know the kind of the kind of saying is if you're an assistant at a division 1 program and it's in the off season you should never be in the office because you should always be out on the road somewhere <laughs> recruiting you know whether you're on a flight whether you're driving somewhere that's that's kind of your 
bread and butter when you're in the off season. What's your work schedule like? You know, how much goes into recruiting that maybe the common person outside of college athletics doesn't really quite understand? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone's different. Um, I think depends on the type of school that you are, high academic or or if you're more flexible school. Um, obviously, depends on your scholarship amount and, and your ability to aid students to come to your school. Um, so, you know, there's different different factors involved. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, there's there's people on on staffs um, that are solely, you know, dedicated to um, to to that role. And uh, I think I think the work to your question, the work that goes on behind the scenes is um, a lot of research, um, you know, getting getting background information on the player from club coaches, from from. Um, uh, collecting academic info on the student, um, seeing them play in different environments, um, high school, club, you know, um, working hard on the logistics of getting them to campus, um, spending time with them, interacting with them, uh, phone calls and Zooms, um, helping the family figure out the affordability and, and the cost of college. Um, comparing recruits um you know that's a luxury that that a lot of schools have is they might look at five six kids per position and and a lot of work goes into analyzing video and in the different qualities of each player and, and what specific um qualities are most important to them in that position and and kind of weighing their options um you know, I think I think a lot of schools do excellent job with their due diligence. You know, seeing a player four, five, six times be, before making an offer, um, and, and obviously that that's correlated to to their budget and and how much money they have for traveling. But but yeah, club you know club soccer is really tough nowadays. You have so many different leagues: MLS mm -hmm. Next, ECNL, National League, USYS. Um, and so, you, you, to your point, you can you can pretty much travel uh, each each week to a different part of the country if if you're ambitious enough. So, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of legwork and and um, stuff that goes on behind the scenes that um, to some people might seem tedious or, or mundane, but um, it's really important to make sure that you're getting the right kid. Um, for, for each position in your class. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, now at this point you have a four year degree where you've played, you went on to go and get your MBA and, you know, I, I kind of was seeing here that, and this is, you know, this is typical, which I'm sure you can also help to kind of shed light on this for, for us and the listeners here. You're now at Holy Cross where you're the division one assistant, like you say, working sometimes upwards of 50, 60 hour weeks and your salary is is what eight thousand total a year like i think a lot of people when they go in to go and get their mba they're thinking okay this is what's going to set me up for a, a big pay bump or a, a brand new salary cap that i'm going to be in a part of and 
that's kind of the reality of college coaching, especially for those ones early on in their career. Those are the types of positions that you're going to be offered. You know, I've spoken about it before. I was a Mm -hmm. assistant coach at my alma mater and then an assistant coach at a school called Widener University, which is division three. I think my salary Mm -hmm. was 2000. And I think for a lot of coaches, sometimes your salary might be, hey, we can feed you every now and then and we can give you some really cool gear. <laughs> and, and that's the that's the extent of, of the paycheck that you're getting. So what's that like to be in that position? I mean, I have to imagine it's just because you're in love with the game so much that you're willing to put up with a, a work schedule and a, and a compensation package like that. Yeah, I mean... And you make the decision early on, like, you know, for me in, in life being rich isn't, isn't that important. So like I was, I was never, I was never leaving college. Um, my, my prioritization wasn't to find, um, the, the most well-paying job out there. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in soccer regardless of, of what that paid. And, um, you know, I think, um, zero regrets. I think, um, I think not making a lot of money early on is, is, is a good thing in a lot of ways because it, it shapes your character, makes you become, um, makes you, makes you value the worth of a dollar more and, um, and, and makes you think a big picture, you know, I think, um, you kind of, you kind of grind early on and, and struggle, but you know that, um, it's, it's necessary. It's all worthwhile for, for five, 10, 15 years down the road. So, so yeah, I think, um, I would, you know, and, and I, I, I think, um, I think you have to go into coaching regardless of its club, uh, grassroots college, you know, you can't, you can't do it for the money because then it's, it's gonna, you know, at, at some point it's, it's gonna affect your ability to, to do the job as well as you can possibly do it. Whereas if you're intrinsically motivated, cause you want to help players, you want, um, to develop a program, you want to, to give back to the school. That's, you know, that's going to allow you to do the best job possible. Let's take a break to talk about support for the In the 11 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 11 at manscaped.com. Now, if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Now, listen, here's the deal, gentlemen. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. Now, I know we got a lot of ballers out here, right? We got a lot of coaches out here. A lot of you, I know in your sessions, in your games, you're constantly saying, you got to take care of the ball, but you're not taking care of your own. It's crazy. It's it's wild, and we got to change that here, and Manscaped's going to help you do that. So, first off, we've got the Lawnmower 4.0, and it is the future of men's below-the-waist grooming, and that is because... Of their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof. It has a 400k LED spotlight. So no more going blind in the bathroom, getting hair all over the floor, right? 
pop in the shower, you've got the light as well, easy, and you're done. On to the next one. Now, same goes for that weed whacker, the Manscaped weed whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming necessities. You've got the proprietary skin safe technology, which is going to help reduce with nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate, sensitive areas. Now, last but not least, we can't forget about the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. A lot of you guys, I know you've got a routine with your recovery, right? You've got pregame rituals, you've got postgame rituals, a recovery routine that you do after, right? Hop in an ice bath, whatever it is. You have to add your below-the-waist care to that. You've got to take care of your balls, gentlemen. You don't want to be playing 90 minutes, and then you come in, and you're sweaty and disgusting and you're not taking care of yourself you got you got to do it and manscaped like i said is here to help you in that department and who knows maybe that special someone that's in your life coming to the game watching you play you know you play a good 90 minutes maybe you bag a goal i don't know you want to be ready you want to be prepared you don't want to be in a situation where you are left without manscaped now just because manscaped is hooking you up and they want to take care of you The Performance Package 4.0 has a couple of goodies thrown in there. They've got the Manscaped Boxer Briefs, and they threw in a little carry-on bag just to travel with all of your Manscaped products, whether you're going for an away game, right? It's a road trip, you're in a plane, whatever. Chuck all your Manscaped products in there. You don't have to think about it. You can forget about it and make sure that you're still taken care of. So it is time, gentlemen because your balls will thank you. It is time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping using the code 11. That's 20% off with free shipping using the code 11, E-L-E-V-E-N at manscaped.com. That is 20 whole percent off of your order. 20% off your order with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code 11, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And while this may be different for every coach in terms of where their career journey takes them, you know, some coaches stay at a certain university for the length of their career and some coaches bounce from place to place. And your experience now up to this point in your story where you've been at Alfred and now Holy Cross, and then obviously eventually the decision to leave Holy Cross and go to Newberry, which we'll talk about kind of in a bit. What would you say is maybe some of the reasons why you might look for a new opportunity or, you know, advice out there to a young coach who's coming up in their career, you know, what are the reasons maybe to pursue a new opportunity or, you know, how that might come about? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, the, the opportunity to have, have greater roles and responsibilities. I think that's, that's logical. If, if you're looking for a new opportunity and you can, um, have a bigger hand in, in running the program, you know, that's going to allow for more growth. Um, you know, not to be, not to be totally contradictory to myself. Um, you know, it it was obviously a pay increase, um, going from a second assistant, uh, now to a first assistant, uh, when I went to Newberry. So, so that was beneficial, but I think, um, you know, also I, I'd spent my whole life in the Northeast, uh, and that's all I knew. So the opportunity to, you know, um, young, single, no family, if, if there was a time to move in my life, it, it was, it was a good, the timing, the timing was good and, and live in a different part of the country. 
um, see new places, meet new people. I think uh, Newberry uh, provided an awesome experience because there's a lot of first generation college students. So working with people, honestly, different, you know, with a different background than myself is a, is a great learning experience. But, but yeah, I think I think there's a wide variety of reasons why you might want to move. The role the role might be bigger. Um, you might want want to be in a different location. The money might be better. Um, but I think um, I think another you know another another reason is um, an op you know an opportunity to learn under a different mentor. Um, you know that's that's kind of what I honestly miss as being a head coach is. Um, you know, I think I think uh, there are some assistants really lucky out there that have a great head coach as a mentor and someone that they can constantly ab- absorb knowledge from and 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 build great habits from. And I think when you're a head coach, you have to be creative in in how you keep learning and in how you keep um, evolving because you don't have a you know you don't have someone that you can copy right in front of you. So. Mm. And and I will just say, uh, I think, I know we were obviously talking about the financial side of it before, but I think I wouldn't necessarily, it's contradictory because I, obviously your goal is to be able to do this, you know, full time, be able to coach full time and, and make a living full time. And for some people that is always going to look like I'm a college coach and a club coach. And I, I package those two things together to, to make my living. And Obviously, for some people, you know, I know the especially the role that you're in now as a head coach of a Division three school, it's probably pretty difficult to balance all that's entailed with running your program and then, you know, coaching club in addition to that. So, I mean, the reality just is nobody, no person can live on $8,000 a year. So I think while, yes, we may look at it as, oh, it helped a little bit financially, there's also that just that element of can I actually get to a point where I can make a livable wage off of coaching uh, mm-hmm. in your kind of experience as someone who's been through it and also speaks to a lot of coaches, what's that timeline usually like for a coach to actually go from, I want to enter into the career to now I can kind of make a, a reasonable living out of this, or maybe I can even do it as my full-time income. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could give you a good answer. Um, <laughs> It's tricky, right? Because everyone everyone's timeline is different. Some, you know, obviously, if if you're a former professional or played on the national team, you're you're going to have a much expedited timeline in, in making a full time living as as a as a coach than someone like myself. Um, but I think you know, coming out of college, um, you know, I th- I think I think my timeline was was. Uh, was justified was was understandable like i you know i think uh i probably wasn't deserving to be a full-time paid coach right away with with zero coaching experience and not not a super high level playing background so i think you know i was it was i had you know it was qualified that i had to spend um you know five six years as as a as a part-time assistant um but yeah, I think I think it's I think it's different, and um, yeah, it's it's tough for me to give you an answer. Sorry. No, no, yeah. I, it's it's understood, and 
And I understand there's probably not a, a one perfect answer to that because every, like you said, everyone's path is different. I mean, again, that's the reason yeah. why I, I do a show like this to kind of shed light on, on all the different pathways to whether it's to become a, a professional coach or professional player, whatever it may be. Um, hmm. your, your time at Newberry, while I know there's probably a lot that you learned and <laughs> it was an amazing experience for you on the one hand, I, I, I would kind of gather that it was maybe one of the more challenging and more difficult times, whether it be football wise or just life wise being, you know, at that school, would that be a, a proper characterization kind of of that time? Yeah. Yeah. It was a good, it was a good challenge. You know, I think when, when you're experiencing personal challenges in life, probably right at, at, in the moment, they don't feel beneficial, but now, at least now I look back and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Even if it was only for a year, like, I think, um, I think it helped me in terms of being more independent, um, you know, getting a better understanding of the college landscape. Um, you know, so many, so many different nuances like international recruiting and, um, you know, how to, <laughs> I think uh, how to keep the team together, steady the ship when, you know, at Newberry, we obviously struggled for results. So you learn um, how to psychologically and, and culturally deal with that as a team. But yeah, um, you know, the, the, rural, the rural South is a, is a lot different than um, uh, coastal Connecticut. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, but, but there's no, there's no right and wrong. And I think, um, I think, uh, I think, I think it was a beneficial year in terms of growing, uh, as, as a person, uh, learning more about college soccer and, and recruiting and, um, you know, it's good, it's good to be at a school like Alfred and Newberry, which is different than Connecticut because those programs are, are in a building phase. Uh, whereas at con, I was lucky to come here and coach Murphy had already really established the program. Like they had just broken into the NCAA tournament. So like, um, you know, I think, I think it's important for coaches to get different experiences in terms of where the program is at and, and what they need to do in terms of improving the program. So, hmm. And in some of those recruiting stories that you might have, and also, like you said, your experience now recruiting a little bit more internationally, which is pretty common at the Division II level, um, I have to know mm -hmm. this this Glasgow airport story. When you were potentially maybe recruiting in, in Scotland, what is the, where you maybe didn't have a flight, return flight anymore or something along those lines? Can you uh, paint that picture for us? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was actually, I was recruiting in Iceland. Uh, they have a showcase every winter, and then um, on the back end of that, I went, uh, I went to Glasgow to um, uh, my cousin. My cousin was living there, so I had a free place to stay, and um, obviously wanted to see Celtic and in a couple other football games. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, now, now, so with the airlines, it's it's even worse than it was pre-COVID. But uh, I guess. I guess pre-COVID wasn't even great as well. Now, nowadays, it seems like every other flight gets canceled. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was in it was in Glasgow, and I think um, 
was like either a Saturday night or something. And, and we had a, we had training Monday morning. See, I see again, one of the differences in the South, you, you train first thing in the morning before it gets too hot out. Yeah. <laughs> so flight gets canceled and, and, um, the coach isn't too happy and, um, you know, just trying to scramble to, <laughs> to find a way to get home. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of the story, I suppose. <laughs> And was it really that your your job was on the line if you weren't back there for that training Monday morning? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, in in so few words, yes. But um, <laughs> but I think uh, you know, there's there's probably several months of um, you know just just not seeing eye to eye be, before that point happened. Yeah, understood. And now in your experience, we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, um, that sometimes, you know, coaching can be an isolating pursuit and it can be something that's a bit lonely at times. It's so rewarding, but it, it like it's with any career, any pursuit, it comes with its own challenges. Um, and in those times where you're, you know, maybe in a situation like you were at in Newbury, where it was difficult on a personal and professional level or or really for any coach out there who might be feeling a similar way to what you were feeling then. You know, what advice could you give to a coach that is that loves the game, that knows that this is where they want to be, but there's just there's challenges, right? And and they feel a little bit alone at times and you know, they can't obviously turn to their players to talk to. Like you said, at a division three staff, you may have only one assistant who is only there part time. So you can't necessarily confide in them as much and you feel like there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. What would you kind of say to that coach that maybe gives you a call? Yeah, I, I think the 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 logical thing is what I've always tried to do at each school is is develop a a couple other coaches in the departments who who you can um, chat with on a weekly basis and develop a relationship with, bounce ideas off, go into their office and 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 chat with. I think. Um, I think that that's very helpful. And, and one of the awesome things about collegiate athletics is, you know, you, um, I, I think a lot of schools have silos and, and kind of, you know, coaches are at different ages and, and sometimes more reserved and, and obviously busy, you know, everyone's busy. But I think if you can find a couple coaches that you can chat with, grab a drink with um, in your department, that, that goes a long way. I've, I've always really enjoyed the, the, um, the coaching courses that I've done with United Soccer coaches, um, the convention, mm. uh, U.S. Soccer licenses, um, and and you know other entities like Modern Soccer Coach, and you know I think I think there's a lot of nowadays in 2022 there's a lot of um, resources out there that you can build connections with and um, and and um, find, find people that you can learn from. But, um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say utilizing your athletic department, um, utilizing coaching resources and in classes and, um, yeah, those are the things that I've kind of leaned on. Mm. And, and now kind of, as we go through the journey here, that brings you to Connecticut college where you spent the last couple years of your, of your career and it brought you to Connecticut first as an assistant, now as a head coach. Mm -hmm. 
what was it like the transition of you know south division two now back up north division three and assistant again um how how was that transition for you yeah um well again like you know i think to be fair connecticut college is a similar school that i went to so you know kind of bringing back um reminders of of what it's like to go to a small liberal art private school and um but no i i enjoyed the transition right away because again like i you know i could see myself in in the players here and ambitious hardworking kids um you know one obviously one of the biggest differences is you know um pretty much every everything in in some capacity is predicated by academics um your ability to get into the school um your daily schedule um you know your stress and anxiety your your mood you know a lot of that stuff is is um core you know connected to academics um not to say that it's not at 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 Newberry or anything but um you know Khan is an academically challenging school so um but um but yeah i like i i enjoyed the uh transition right away because murph coach murphy was an excellent mentor um again you know mo- most coaches can attest to this like i i was able to get the job because i had already known murph when i was at holy cross um him and me uh ran into each other many times on 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 the road recruiting so I had gotten to know him and, um, and yeah, like I, I believed in his, um, way he saw the game and, um, in, and I was excited about the trajectory of the program. Um, they were, they were getting better and, and kind of knocking on the door and, and yeah, it was something that I wanted to be a part of. So it was, it was honestly, it was a, um, you know, go, going back down and, and taking less money than Newberry wasn't, wasn't ideal, but I think uh, going back closer to home, being part of a program that was really pushing, getting a great mentor again in, in uh, coach Murphy, you know, is uh, a decision that I moved pretty quick on. So then take me through the process of your ability or your chance to then go and be the the head coach of this program kind of what were the circumstances that led to that and and maybe talk about the interview process or or what it was like to actually get that that first that first gig as a head coach yeah um it was it was definitely surprising so the see again right the season ends um middle late november whenever and then right before the holidays um you know, Murph, Murph, uh, we we're sitting in the office and he, he told me he was going to retire <laughs> mm. and, and, uh, and, you know, when someone is that passionate about the game, that dedicated has done such a good job for a long time. Like, it's like, you're going to do what? Um, so it was, it was definitely surprising. And, and then the process was really long to be honest. So Murph, Murph decided that he was going to retire in December but his contract didn't end till May. So they really couldn't start the interviewing process until May or June. Mm-hmm. Um, so they like, I, w- you know, I wasn't hired until middle, middle of July, I'd say. So basically, you know, and, and, um, 
in, in, in like there's not as much on the field uh, in Division three as Division one in the spring. So it's not like it's not really like um, especially in the NESCAC our conference, there's there's no spring practices um, per se. So um, it's not like it's not like that was that was a burden, but it was it was just tricky in the sense of, um, you know, running team meetings, uh, planning, recruiting um, and, and really not not fully knowing um, whether come summertime I was still going to be here or not. So, hmm. yeah. So, but I think I think I think the reason why I probably um, was lucky enough to get an interview is you know, it's it's funny how things work out in life, right? Um, and kind of everything is a compound effect, uh, oftentimes in life. But like, so Mer, so that season we had reached the NCAA tournament, um, and Murph his daughter was getting married. So he couldn't go to the first round of the NCAA tournament. So I coached the team. I think we won three or four, nothing. And then of course uh, we lose in the second round, but um, I think, I think it gave the school and the administrative vote of confidence that, you know, even worth Murph gone for several days. um, You know, I, I had, uh, maturity or conviction or, or ability to, um, you know, cause the team had never won an NCAA game. So, um, so I think, I think that, that, that helped me a little bit for what it was worth. Yeah. And I think that's the perfect, uh, segue into, to what I wanted to ask you next was I think anyone who's ever been an assistant coach, they, you know, whether they mean to do it or not, they look at the head coach and are like, ah, I think I could do that. Uh, I think I can do this or that a little bit better, right? I think anyone who's a coach out there that's listening, you've probably talked to your fellow assistants and been like, why did they do that? Like, that's just the nature of the beast. And so for you, I'm sure you always wanted that chance to be able to one day be a head coach. And there's a lot of assistant coaches out there who think that they're going to be the greatest head coach in the world. And they get to they get up to the plate and and they strike out and and that's kind of the, just the reality of it. Um, there's so many good coaches out there. There's there's some not so good coaches out there. But you've been able to step in as a head coach and on the pitch have some some real success early on in your first role as a head coach. As you look back at it, do you think there's any kind of things that you can pinpoint or, or look to as what's allowed you to have that success early on? Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> pretty, pretty obviously, um, had good players to work with. (laughs) Um, you know, that, that always makes things easier. You know, my first year as a head coach, um, right. 2019, our goalkeepers, AJ Marcucci, who's, who's an all American and, and come to find out an MLS draft pick. I mean, that's, that doesn't hurt when you're the first year coach. Um, pretty rare for the division three level. (laughs) Yeah. So, and, and there's plenty of other players besides AJ, you know, Liam Donlin, um, Liam Noonan, um, Freddie Stokes, a, a bunch of really good players that, you know, quite frankly, could have played division one, but, but Murph had recruited them and, and, um, you know, would allow for a first year coach to, um, to not have to rebuild the team. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, um, 
hopefully, hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, you'll see this, um, more and more often, uh, assistants becoming head coaches at, at the, at the school that they work at, because I think, uh, one of the keys, um, is, is that the players already have a relationship, uh, with the coach, the coach knows, um, how the recruiting or, or how the scouting, how the, how the practices are run. Um, I mean, like, honestly, it was a smooth transition because, uh, me and Murph, uh, worked on everything together and, um, there was already the formula and talent there, um, to, to be a strong team. It's, you know, I, I extremely fortunate in the sense that I didn't walk into a rebuild. So, um, and I think when, when, uh, when that platform is there, it, it helped my confidence, you know, whereas if you're walking in to a program and a lot of things need to be changed, like, you know, that can be, that can be frustrating that can, you know, test you and shake you. But, um, yeah, we got off to a good start and I think it strengthened my conviction and in, in what we were doing and, and how we can keep moving forward. Yeah, and that that early success, obviously, as we mentioned at the top, led to to a really spectacular year in twenty twenty one that ended with that that championship. As you look at that season, what are some of the snapshots, maybe you know the highs or the lows that you really remember about that season that you know ended with you being crowned the best in Division three? Yeah, the, the the biggest challenge by far is probably a bigger challenge I'd imagine for the players and myself. Um, although it was definitely a collective challenge was we got shut down for five days. Like, um, Mm. the first game of the season got postponed. Um, the second game of the season, um, got put on the back of a Saturday game. So now that turned into a doubleheader in the third game of the season, um, was supposed to be a home game and they moved it to Wheaton college. So we had to postponed two games and then the third and then the third game wasn't even a home game so the five days before that um we got shut down for five days so imagine two games getting postponed in in five days of not practicing and, and then going into a game that's on the road so i think that like reawakened our competitive drive and and we talked about as a team we can't feel sorry for ourselves like the season is what it's going to be. And, you know, we can't control certain things. We just, you know, we have to give our very best effort. We have to make the most of the situation. And, you know, in, in five years time, no one, you know, no one's going to remember our con got shut down for five days. Like they're just going to look at, they're going to look at the, uh, the record. Um, so I think that that reawakened our competitive drive made us mentally tough. And um, it was a good, it was even though we lost to Wheaton, it was a good, it was a good way for the group to re come together and and figure out you know what we wanted the season to look like and what we were willing to commit to 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 make that vision possible. But yeah, I think like most successful teams, uh, we learned from our losses. Um, like. I think we weren't great at defending the counterattack for, for large periods of the season. And, um, you know, we, when we lost games, we had to learn from that. And, um, 
in the beauty about having a good regular season record is in college soccer, even if you lose in your conference tournament, like it's not the end of the world. You can't feel sorry for yourself. You still have the NCAA tournament. Like you can still regroup and, and get hot and, and go on another run. So, um, yeah, I think, um, we're fortunate enough to play our best soccer in November and December. And I think that's because, um, uh, we got mentally tough early on. We, um, we came to a group, we came together as a group early on in, and we took our licks along the way, but we always learned, we, we always kept improving. So. And for you individually and personally to have the, the career that you had had up to that point where you had seen so many highs and lows from Alfred to Holy Cross to Newberry. And then, you know, you have that where you kind of reach the the pinnacle of college soccer at that level. Walk me through some of the emotions that you feel, whether it be right after the game or kind of in the coming days, because I have to imagine there's sort of this euphoric feeling of, of what you've been through to get to that point. And, and it, while it might feel amazing, I think it probably has a different connotation when you understand what it really took to get to that point of holding that trophy in your hands. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of coaches can, can relate to it, but like kind of weird, like weird what's going on kind of disbelief. Right. Cause yeah. like, yeah, I mean, like if you, if you, if you look at my coaching experience as a whole, I'm, I'm a pretty relatively unsuccessful coach. So like, to, to win a national championship, it's like, <laughs> and, and a lot of people can relate in the sense that like you're a player and you might not win a national championship and then you get into coaching and um, it feels like you're a long way off. Like for, for so many years, you, you think and you dream and you visualize of winning a national championship. And then when the moment happens, you're like, <laughs> this yeah. is weird. Like <laughs> what's going, what's going on? So yeah, I think, um, you know, yeah, I mean, euphoric and, and the best thing about winning a national championship is, is savoring the celebrations in the moments and, um, you know, going back to the hotel, not sleeping, being with all the guys, um, you know, going to the airport, coming back, there, there's a parade on campus, like, you know, that, it's just being together and enjoying the moment together. But, but yeah, like it's, it's so weird. Like I, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, you think about it for so long and then when it happens, it's like, wow, <laughs> sort of like it sort of, I guess, I guess this is came, I guess this came true. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it must be uh, an incredible feeling that's probably hard to put into words, especially especially while it's happening. Um, the the last thing I wanted to to kind of bring up here is maybe if we can give a little bit of, you know, because there's lots of players who listen to this and maybe who are in college or looking at college. And and it's a, a difficult landscape to navigate college soccer, kind of understanding where you should go, where's the right level for you, where's a good fit for you program wise and and I came across something that I wanted to to kind of see your thoughts on. There was a, a player who was actually a teammate of mine in Germany who has a pretty big following on social media and whatnot. And um, so on YouTube, he posted this kind of poll. And so most of his audience is players. 
And so I kind of wanted to get your take on it and the, and the phrase it like this. If you had a full ride scholarship from an NCAA D3 program, you had a half scholarship from D2 and no scholarship from D1, but you had the promise to play right away, which opportunity would you take? And 46% said they would take the D1 with the no playing time. 16% said they would take the D2 half scholarship. And 33% said they would take the D3 with the full scholarship. Now you have insight from all three levels, coaching, recruiting, you know, is this something that you experience a lot with players where maybe you're talking to a player that you think is a good fit for your program and, and they have that D1 or bust mentality? Yeah, it happens all the time. Um, I mean, like I, I, I try not to be critical. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm uh, 31 years old, like, you know, whenever 12, 12 years ago or whatever, like I, I wanted to go D1 yeah. <laughs> to some extent I had the D1 or bust mentality, but like, um, I think, I think the most, the kids that end up finding the best fits, um, really think holistically, you know, uh, and really have a long-term vision of, of what they want to get out of the schools. If, if going pro is by far the most important thing in your life and, and everything else takes a back seat, I mean, you should probably, you should probably go D1. Um, but like if you have interest in, um, creating a startup company or, um, or going into healthcare or, you know, um, you know, different schools offer incredibly excellent programs. Um, and, and maybe you want a city school, maybe, maybe you want to leave your state and, and go somewhere completely different. I mean, there, it's, it's, there, there's no, there's no, uh, right answer for D1, D2, or D3. It's like, but I think the kids that find the school that is great for them factor in all the equations. They take their time. Um, they really think about what is best for them in terms of soccer, campus, academics, cost. Um, and yeah, like I think, um, I think that's, that's, that's a really tough question to pull because at the end of the day, you're always going to get so many different answers, right? Because yeah. everyone's going to have so many different opinions. So. Yeah. And and lastly, now that as we look at, you've had a number of student athletes that have found Connecticut College to be that that place for them that checks all of the boxes. From your perspective on the other side of it, what is it that you look for, whether it be from the the football side of things, the playing side of things, or just the character of a person who's going to be a good fit for your program and your school? Yeah, you you always ask yourself the fundamental question. You know, would would I enjoy coaching him? <laughs> yeah, like you know, is is that someone that I again I go back to the phrase partnering? Is that someone I want to partner and? and help develop for the next four years. I think it, like you should make a four-year commitment to someone. I think if you're recruiting someone and then you're cutting them after a year, well, you are probably a pretty bad recruiter. So like, um, 
you know, is, is that someone that like, I, you know, I want to develop a relationship with and is, is that someone that I want to represent our school here? Um, so yeah, for sure. Character come a big part of it. And, and that's the reason why a lot of the legwork of recruiting is phone calls, zooms, getting them to campus, meeting the family. Um, cause you, if you're going to have a, someone for four years, you, you want to know them as a person, but, but yeah, I try, you know, I try to find players that, that can create a team that I would have enjoyed playing on. So, you know, footballers that are, you know, technically proficient that, that want to control the ball, that, that play off of each other, that, that have bravery and courage that, um, want to break the other team down. You know, th- those are the teams that I always enjoyed the most being part of because you feel like it's a collective effort and, and you feel like your team is outplaying the opposition by, by dominating the ball and, and controlling the ball. So I think I, I probably slightly favor um, recruiting, um, however you want to describe it, uh, technical um uh ball ball playing uh players versus um your more your your more physically matured athletes if you will so but um but yeah you, you factor in everything right character um ability and then and then a school like ours you know a lot of the recruiting is dictated by academics so um you don't want to bring in someone that's that's going to feel overwhelmed or, or sink right away because then you did them a disservice and they're not going to have a good experience. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, coach, I know that you uh, have have lots to do in another season just around the corner, and and the recruiting trail never dies down. So I don't want to take up too much of your time, but again, I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story with everyone. I think it's one that people can can learn a lot from. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Uh, Awesome talk. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I want to thank Ruben again for being in the 11 this week. It was great talking to him about his career and about his program over at Connecticut College. I want to thank all of you out there who are listening and are continuing to listen to the episodes and continue to subscribe to the show and show love to the social media. It really means a lot to me. I would encourage you to keep doing that. So Subscribe to the show, whatever platform you are listening to or watching on, because the show is available on YouTube as well, for those of you who would like the visual. And as well, follow us on Instagram and follow us on TikTok. Those are the two primary places where we're going to be posting a lot of content from this episode, clips, promos, all that good and good stuff. So there's lots of good stuff you can find over there. That's at Indie11Pod on both of those two platforms. Thank you so much to all of you out there listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Peace.